Amen. Good evening, church. How are you? Monica, I got a question for you. Do you hear this microphone in your little in-ear piece? Oh, Lord. I'm over there singing thinking, man, I sure hope nobody can hear me sing, but <laughs> it wasn't turned on yet. Oh, <laughs> but I owe you guys back there. Thank you for that. <laughs> Listen, if you see me up there and I'm singing, don't turn this on in her ear or anybody else. You got that? Like, y'all think I'm kidding when I think, I said, oh, Monica, I'm going to sing. Like, she knows why she ain't got me in the choir. Like, I ain't trying to take nobody's place. That's right, yeah. So, uh, it is good to be with you guys today. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you, and um, Stoney is not with us tonight. Went to the uh, emergency room yesterday, just not feeling well. Uh, found out that he was in AFib. Um, he's feeling okay. So uh, went there just to be checked out, take some medicine today, just not feeling great today. So he's got a, an appointment tomorrow. So I'm sure that's going to get through the congregation. You're better to hear it from here than anybody else. But uh, he's okay. Pray for him. Uh, you know, our natural tendency is to call or text or something like that. Just pray for him. Just, just go to the Lord and pray for him. Let him have the opportunity just to chill out and relax. And uh, I know that he's like you. Um, you appreciate people saying, hey, I'm praying for you and I'm here for you. But sometimes it can make it a little more anxious as you're trying to work through some of that. So uh, let him deal with that. He'll be, and um, the Lord will bring him as uh, the Lord sees fit. So uh, anyhow, what did you do to, with today? Like, what did you do with today? I had a young lady back there ask me in the back. She said, have you had a peach milkshake yet? That was on my list today. But I didn't get it. I hope somebody else in here has had one, and it was good for you. So, uh, Miss, Miss Linda King, I, I owe you one, so maybe we can get one. That'd be great. So, uh, what did you do with today? I, I've been thinking a lot about this uh, concept of time and realizing that really time is the only commodity that you have. Time is the only commodity that we have. And I don't want to be morbid or anything like that, but I looked up a couple of statistics and do you realize that globally, 231 people leave this world every minute? We've been here eight minutes. And if that's true, over 1,600 people have left this world. So now let's dial it in to Stanley County. If the average statistics in North Carolina is 50% of the population claim to be religious, that doesn't mean that they're Christian. That means that they claim to be religious. And if Stanley County has 63,000 um, citizens, then that's around 31,500 people in this county alone claim to be Christians out of 63,000. Now, you use whichever biblical statistic that you choose. You can either, A, use the percentage of the four soils where 25% or one of four of those seeds fell on good ground and produced fruit, or you can use the parable, or, or pardon me, the story of the lepers, where 10 came to Jesus and said, we need to be cleansed, but only one came back, indicating that only 10%. So if you use 31,500, you use the quarter percent of that, that's what, 7,000 people? So 7,000 people out of 63,000 people in this county, we could conservatively say, if they were to leave this world they'd spend eternity in heaven. Now, that's a huge number. Now dial it into your area of influence, the people that you know. Many of us in this room could safely say that we know 100 people. 
And out of those 100 people that we know, if only 50% claim to be Christians, which many of us would, that number would be higher, what does that say about where we're at today? What did you do with today? If you're like me, and I'm just going to be honest, I didn't share the gospel with anybody specifically today. What are we waiting on? What are we doing? I'm not being morbid, I'm not beating this up, but what are we doing with the time that we've been allotted here on this earth? Turn with me, if you will, to Numbers chapter number 33. Numbers chapter number 33. In our text tonight, uh, we're going to have to pack in a lot uh, we're going to have to pack in quite a bit, so I ask for a little bit of grace on that. And uh, Numbers chapter number 33, it'll be on the screen if you didn't bring a scripture with you. Uh, numbers chapter number 33, and uh, we'll, we'll actually start and then we'll go backwards. So stand, if you will, to Numbers chapter number 33 and verse number 56. And the title of the sermon message tonight is God's Promises and the Believer's Response. So no doubt everybody in this room has been impacted by a piece of scripture uh, in our lifetime, right? And so uh, the question is to you is, is what is a promise that you hold dear and what do you do with it? Like what is the promise that you have uh, remembered, whether it's a past scripture you've committed to memory or whether it's something that you've seen God do or work in your life and what have you done with that? Have you kept it to yourself or have you shared that with other people like, if your funeral was today, would the person that was standing behind this pulpit know what scripture to use for your life? Numbers chapter number 33, verse number 50. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, <clears throat> verse number 51, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all of the inhabitants of the land from before you. You shall destroy all of their engraved stones, destroy all of their molded images, and demolish all of their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of that land, or you shall drive them out of the land, and then you shall dwell in it. For I have given it to you, the land to possess, and you shall divide the land by law as an inheritance among your families to the larger uh, you shall give a larger inheritance unto the smaller, and that's numerically, to the larger numbered family, you shall give a larger inheritance, and to the smaller numbered family, you shall give a smaller inheritance. There, everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants, verse number five, 55, everything changes. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your side, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. That's a fairly heavy scripture, right? And so as we enter into this time of prayer over this scripture, I'm going to ask you to pray specifically for the students that's in the Student Worship Center. Pastor Noah is over there preaching right now to them out of Matthew, the text where Jesus is uh, saying to the Pharisees, you've taken the oracles of man and you've raised them above the commandments of God. What are you doing? Like you've taken what you've said to be good and made it in place of what I said will make you holy. And so he's really confronting them on their 
actions and how those actions line up with the Word of God. So I'm asking you and I to pray for them that God would give him the wisdom to preach, that the Lord would preach through him, and that as the ears are open there, the ears will be opened here and in our children's ministry. And listen, that's not just babysitting over there. Those preschool teachers and leaders, that's not just babysitting. That is, they're, they're pouring in the Word, and they're praying the Scriptures, and they're reading the Scriptures. Like this. That all across this campus, that God would give us ears to hear, hearts to respond, and then feet to follow, right? So let's pray that. So Lord, thank you so much for this text. And although it is a heavy text, I thank you for leading me to it. God, I thank you for what you've done in my heart and in my life. And God, how you've confronted me. Uh, Lord, I pray that as uh, I, I try to share with your people... Um, God, I, I pray like Solomon prayed. I, I stand in a place of unknowing and, uh, Lord, uh, ignorance in front of a people that you possess. And so, God, I ask for wisdom to lead them to you and to your word, that, God, you would plant that word into our hearts, and that you give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. Lord, I pray not only for this room, but I pray for the student ministry, and I pray for the children ministry and the preschool ministry that, God, you would be glorified in everything that was accomplished and that you alone would accomplish it so that no man could take credit for it. God, I pray for our pastors. He's at home tonight. Bless he and his family. Encourage them. Uh, Lord, I pray for the rest of the folks that are going through sicknesses and illnesses of our body right now. Would you be with them? Would you touch them and bless them? And may your grace comfort them in Jesus' name. Thank you. And you may be seated. So in this text tonight, we've got to actually work backwards. And so we're going to go back to ask a few questions. So God promised Abram the land of Canaan. So we have the children of Israel. They've been led through the, the wilderness there because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion towards God. And God has brought them to the edge of the land that which he promised them way back in Genesis chapter number 17. Let me read to you in Genesis chapter number 17, verse number 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and he said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. When we look at God's relationship with mankind, God's relationship with all of creation, it is a call and a response. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let, let's happen, and that happened. And you see all throughout the scriptures, God calling people to himself. And then after he calls them to himself, he's going to give them a promise of what he's going to do or a covenant in this concept. He's going to make a covenant with them that he is going to fulfill. So he said, Abram, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make a covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. Your name shall be called Abraham. When God calls a person to himself, he never leaves them as they were. Brother Jerry is the one that we talked about this several, several years ago. When you look at the scripture, you see God calling a man, changing his name. You see a God calling a man, you call, he, he, he changes the way he, he talks and the way he walks. Listen, when you come into a salvation relationship with God, it changes everything about who you are. And you become the heir of, Christ, of God through Christ. And then you are made uh, in full with those covenants. In verse number 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come for you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after 
in their generations an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants afterwards. Also, I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. We're finding ourselves in Numbers chapter number 33, where the children of Israel have gone through what you and I are going through right now. You find the children of Israel getting phone calls that upset their schedule. You find the children of Israel going through how to figure out how to pay their bills, how to work in society around them, how to live with their neighbors. You see the children of Israel walking the life that you and I are right now trying to find God. And they're at the land that they know had been promised to them. Don't lose sight. He said to them, go and drive out those people. Who are those people? In Genesis chapter number 9, verse number 18, it says, Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. So the people that were living in the land that God had promised that he sent them there to take over were people that were cursed. You've got to hold on to that. He was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of wine and became drunk, uncovered in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. But Shem took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backwards, covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned, and they did not see it. So Noah woke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done. And then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he breathe. Not only the Canaanites, but there were the Jebusites, the Arabs. There were all these different people. Listen, we got to set the stage before we move into the meat. In Numbers chapter number 13, verse number 28, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land, this is where Joshua and Caleb were sent as part of the 12 spies to go over there and look into what was happening and come back and give a report if God was really able to be trusted in this moment. Have there ever been a time where you knew that God told you? Or you, listen, in your heart, you've been in this room at an altar, you've been in your Sunday school class, you've been in your private study. Has there ever been a time where God said, this is what's going to happen? And then you're right there on the cusp of it. And it feels like nothing's moving. Nothing's changing. Have you ever had the thought, did I miss God? Can I really trust God with this? Can I really trust God with that relationship? Can I really trust God with that decision? Have you ever been in a place where you've went up to the very edge and you knew in your heart that this was what God had intended only for plans to seem to change. Joshua and Caleb came back with the other spies and this is what the spies says. We saw the descendants of Anak and they're very large and their cities are fortified and the Amalekites dwell in the land in the sites south and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the bank of the Jordan they gave this report where this ain't going to happen for us 
We have to understand the background text. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Stay with me just for a second. Watch this. In verse number 55, God said to the children of Israel, I hear you say that those people are stronger than you. I hear you say that that bill is too big. I hear you say that that step seems too difficult for you to take. I hear you say that hurt is too deep for you to forgive. I hear you say that anger is okay and that you should be able to hold on to it. I hear you say, but are you going to be God of your life? Or are you going to trust me to lead you where I said I was going to take you? Now listen, if you're here tonight and you've been in a place where you've questioned God, I don't want to validate what you did. But I've shared this with the teenagers and with some very specific people. There are times that Emily and I get ready and we decide that we're going to go over to Tanya's house. And if you go out to the end of my driveway, you can turn right or you can turn left and both of them will get you there. Emily is a creature of habit. She is always going to turn right. She is always going to turn right on 7th Street. It's it's her pattern. That's what she's going to do. Me, I never know who's following me, so I'm always going to take a different route. There are times that I'll get to the end of the driveway, and I'll turn right. Sometimes I'll turn left. But there are times that my wife and I decide that we're going to Tanya's house, get to the end of the driveway, and I turn the way that she wouldn't turn. And she's like, "Why why are you turning this way? As if she don't trust me to take me where I just said we were going to go. And I lose my mind. I'm like, just get in the car and drive. Like, if you want to drive, you just drive. But then there's times that we get to the end of the driveway. And I turn the opposite way. And she's like, why did you go this way? As if she's asking me, I believe that you're taking me where you said you're going to take me. But is there something that you want me to see? Is that the reason that you took this route? There have been times in my life where I've looked at God and I'm like, God, I don't understand this. Like right there it is. Why can't I just pick it up? And here's what God's told me every time. Because you're not ready for it. Watch this. The consequences of disobedience. But, in verse number 55 of our text, he said, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be to those whom you let remain, they shall be inheritance to your eyes. Now, let me make it clear. We're talking about believers in this context. If you're here tonight and you have repented and by faith trusted in Jesus as your Savior, we're talking about people who are believers in this conversation. If you're here and you're not a believer and you would not consider yourself a Christian, we need to talk about the penalty of sin. So in defining our terms, when we use the word consequences, it's going to be on the the screen right there. The first consequences of disobedient to the believer is that consequence can be immediate. When he says, they shall be inheritance to your eyes. In Genesis chapter number 3, verse number 7, right after Adam and Eve were standing there, they heard God say, you can eat of every tree of the garden except for that one. And then the, 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 the serpent came in and he deceived Eve. Look what she did. She took it. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she gave also to her husband 
In verse number seven, look what it says. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and immediately they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made them for themselves. Number one, when you and I, as believers, are led by God, when we act in willful disobedience, the consequences of that obedient disobedience can be immediate. It may not necessarily be immediate, but it will. And listen, as we dig into that, when he says that there'll be irritants to your eyes, it immediately calls Adam and Eve to take their eyes off God and to put their eyes on themselves immediately, just like that. Has there been a time in your life as a believer, as a Christian, where God called you to do something? Maybe he laid somebody's on your mind or on your heart, or maybe you, you, you were in a conversation and God nudged your heart to do something and you're like, no, I can't do that. And immediately you felt the conviction from the Holy Spirit that said, man, you should not have walked away. Or has there been times in your life where you let that temptation roll around in your mind instead of driving that thought out? You went ahead and picked it up. And as soon as you picked it up, immediately guilt flooded your heart. Listen, James says that every good gift is from above. And for the folks that want to celebrate God as this guy who's just going to pay all your bills, that means one thing. But for those of us who are believers and understand the reconciliation process, conviction is the greatest gift that I've ever known to hate. Because apart from conviction in my life and apart from the Holy Spirit saying that was something that you were not prepared to handle, that was something that you were not meant to have, that was something that you were not able to control, that's why God said no. That conviction has sure enough saved me from a lot of troubles and a lot of heartaches. Not only can the consequences of my disobedience be immediately, they can also be generational. He says to them that if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, then there shall be irritants in your eyes and there'll be thorns in your side and they will harass you in the land in which you dwell. He said, not only you're going to have problems with these people and the things that they've brought into your life, but the people that follow you are going to have problems. Look what it says in this text in Genesis chapter number five, verse number one. It says, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in his likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his likeness and after his image and named himself. Romans chapter number five would say it like this. Because of one man's disobedience, all men were made sinners. Listen, sin or disobedience not only is an immediate response and consequence from a holy and righteous God, it can be generational. I dare to say that every single person in this room has, has been affected by some type of generational sin that has happened in your life. Think about this, and, and listen, I, I, I by no means want to be disrespectful or condescending or but listen, divorce is a disobedient. One of those partners in that marriage had to act in disobedience for that, typically for that divorce. And think about the lives that have been affected generationally after that divorce. 
Now, there's some of you that have been affected by divorce. There's some of you that have lived your life as a Christian, and because of a partner's disobedience and sin in their life, you no longer have the marriage that you have. But it still affects people around you. And it still affects your children and your grandchildren. And listen, church, there are people who are going to walk through these doors who've been impacted and affected by generational curses that they had nothing to do with. How are you and I going to respond and meet the needs and minister to those people? Watch this. I I think it's up there. There's a wise man once said this. Parents, your kids will follow. Oh, man, that's something I said. Your kids will follow your example much more often than they will follow your advice. Your kids will follow your example much more often than they'll follow your advice. I think it was Adrian Rogers may have said this. I think this may be on there. What parents allow in moderation, the children will practice in excess. John Wesley said this, and I think I added something to it. I hope it's there. John Wesley said, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. That's what John Wesley said. And I wanted to add a third caveat if I could. What one generation will tolerate, the next generation will embrace, and the third generation will celebrate. Stoney has said from this pulpit, to one generation it's a conviction. To the second generation it's a preference. To the third generation it's an option. Parents and grandparents, do your children And grandchildren, know what you believe about the Bible, and is it a practice in your home? The consequences of sin are not only immediate in your life, they are also generational, potentially in your children's life. And lastly this, consequences of being disobedient can be immediate, they can be generational, but then also they can be eternal. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, remember, we're talking to believers here, and I'm going to make a very bold statement. As a believer, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. And in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, I hope I put it on there. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as through fire. The gifts and the talents that God has given you to exercise for the edification of this body... If you don't exercise those gifts and talents, when God stands, you stand before God at the beam of seat, then you're going to be judged off what God called you to do for the edification of this body. If God has nudged your heart to be over there serving in children's ministry, in the preschool department, or a nursery, and you say, nope, I'd rather sit in this chair, that's a willful disobedience to God. This might be my only shot. I'm going to get it all. <laughs> If God has called you to put your name 
into the deacon selection hat and you said, nope, I don't want to go to those meetings. I like my Sunday afternoon naps. That's disobedience to God. If the Lord has said, I want you to teach the next Sunday school class and you say, no, it takes too much time for me to study. I'll just give y'all one for me. I'll confess on my part. I grew up in a church that taught the Bible amazingly. Miss Liz, my mother, Miss Geraldine, Mr. Delmer, those men and women taught me the Bible explicitly. When I was called to the children's pastorate here at Prospect, I can tell you there have been days that I stood over there in that gym and taught those children the passage of Scripture that I knew by heart without being intentional about taking the time to study and ask God, what do you want me to tell those kids about what you said right here today? I relied on my own knowledge and my own remembrance of the Scripture to teach somebody else rather than being intentional about digging in and saying, God, what do you have for these kids today? Those days, on this day, they'll be burned up. Because Romans says it like this, whatever's done outside of faith is accounted as sin. As a believer, are you doing what God initiates in your life or are you living your life for your own comfort and your own desires? Watch this. I think it's on there and then we'll move real quickly. Thomas Watson, one of the Puritans, says this. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Until we call sin what it is, then Christ will not be sweet. Until you and I look ourselves in the mirror of the gospel and see our wretched unrighteousness and our self-righteousness before a holy and righteous God, then we'll never truly appreciate where God is bringing us from and where God is taking us to. Let's move real quickly. Now that we have all of the historical background significance, how does all of this apply to my Christian life today? Like, How does this apply to me today? There are two components to sanctification. All right, I got 10 more minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to rush through all that. I just wanted to get here because this is what the Lord was teaching me. Listen, I read this text about, I don't know, six weeks ago, and I was like, why in the world is that there? Like you read all of this stuff in numbers, and you're like, you get to something like this, and you're like, man, that's really good. Lord, help me to understand this. And then yesterday, I was riding to um, wherever, a day before, and I heard these two words, and I love them. There's two components to sanctification. Watch this. Numbers 33, 53, 56 is the process of the life of sanctification for the Christian. You see that? Let's ask. Let's see if we can do that. There are two components. Number one is mortification. Jesus said... You cannot be my disciple unless you pick up your cross and follow me. I was with a young lady down at Caswell in eighth grade several years ago. And she asked me this question, Tony, what do you think my cross is? And I said, I don't know. She said, I think I know what it is. I said, let me think on it. And so I went back to her the next day and I said, Lord, help me to understand 
your question better. And I don't think my cross is different than your cross. You see, what we do in our Christian life and Christian walk is, well, they've got it harder than I do, or they've got it easier than I do. Well, look who their family is. Well, they have this advantage, and well, they have that advantage, and my life don't look like theirs, so it's okay that if I'm disobedient, like, we'll compare ourselves to everybody else. And because I was born with this or I wasn't born with that, then it's okay for me to be like this. No, 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 no. In my heart of hearts, I'm asking you as a church, could it be that the cross that Jesus is talking about in that moment is the fact that I am a living soul living in a dead body? I am a spirit-filled Christian soul living. I'm a redeemed soul living in an unredeemed body with an unredeemed mind and unredeemed thoughts. Could it be that all of our cross is the same, that you have to live in a flesh that still has the same desires, the same weaknesses, the same angers, the same hurt, the same unforgiveness as you did before you got saved? It's just your soul was changed from life unto death, but your body lives still with those tendencies to do those things that are wrong. Can we prove it? How many of us face the temptation today? If you don't raise your hand, you just said, I was tempted to tell a lie right here in church. <laughs> the first component of sanctification is my fleshly life has to die. And this is the hardest component because everybody wants to go to heaven. I used to love this song. I, I'm going to sing it one day. Like everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Anybody know that song? That's a great song. Like everybody wants the benefits of being a Christian and going to hot God and like getting to heaven. But nobody wants to hear this. Because what it means is I've got to sacrifice. But in order for God to be worshipped, there has to be sacrifice. In order for your wife to get the amazing husband that she has, you had to sacrifice and separate yourself from every other woman in the entire world. You see that? There has to be sacrifice in order for there to be worship. Romans chapter number eight would say it like this. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As for many are as led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The first component in sanctification is mortification. I must put to death. Paul would say it like this in Galatians chapter number 2, and we're almost done. We know that no man can be justified by works. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who now lives in me. When was the last time that you looked into the mirror of the gospel, that you were in this church, or you were in your personal study, or you were in your Sunday school, and God said, you remember that about the old you? You hadn't put that to death yet. Today would be a great day for that to happen. Let me just rephrase that question and ask you like this. Have there been things in your life that you know God has asked you to stop or to do and you've not stopped them or you've not started doing them? If, if you had to stand in the moment that we just talked about a while ago 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you were to stand before the judgment seat of Christ right now, in this moment, could you confidently say, I'm as right with God as I know how to be? I've made reconciliation with every person that God's laid on my heart to be reconciled to. I've forgiven every person. I've written, I've, I've made right every wrong that God has brought to my mind. The second part, or the second component of sanctification is in Romans chapter number 8, verse number 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit who raised him from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. You see, this text, God's bringing the children of Israel up to a place where they can see all that God's promised them. When you and I go into the presence of the Lord in Scripture and in devotion and prayer, it's as if we're seeing all that God has for us. And here's what he's telling us to do. In order to you, for you to experience all the peace and joy that I've called you to experience in salvation... There's four things that I'm going to ask you to do. We're done. Look with me, if you will. Back in Numbers chapter number 33, and we're done. Verse number 51. God said, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have crossed over the Jordan, the land of Canaan, they were in a little place called Moab. Moab, transliterated, means of his father. God has brought the children of Israel to a place where they're standing in the place of their old self. And they can see what God has called them to be. And when you look back up, the word Jordan, the river Jordan, it means to descend. And when you look up Canaan, here's what it means. To be humbled under the pressure of. So let's listen to that. God's saying, I'm calling to you. In your old self. And I'm telling you that you must kneel. You must humble yourself before me. To recognize who I am. And when you kneel down before me. You recognize here you are. And who I am. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Put to death the old man. Drive out all of your desires and all your preconceived notions of you and me, drive out your heart for yourself. Destroy and demolish. Tear down the idols that you have. The greatest idol that you and I face as a believer is the identity that we've chosen for ourselves in this life. The greatest idol that I face in my Christian life is the identity that I want others and what I want you to think about me because it is self-serving always then lastly when I tear down that idol I am to inherit 
what God has for me. Lord God, tonight as we prepare for invitation, God, I thank you for this text, for the scripture, for leading me to it. Lord, apart from you doing through your word what you choose to do, nothing can be accomplished. God, I thank you for this church, for a body of believers where you can come together and we can be challenged. And Lord, we can say that you are good even in conviction. And God, there's been things in my life that as I've studied this, you brought to my mind that I've been holding on to. And there's parts of my identity that I feel pride or I feel accomplished when others acknowledge them. But my life wasn't given to glorify me. My life was given to be a glory unto you. So I pray that as believers, we would recognize the call of a holy and righteous God and that this church would set in our minds and purpose in our hearts to be a people that are set apart for your righteousness and for your glory. If there's one here that has been called into service but has not stepped out, would you bring them to you that they would be obedient and trust in you to establish the ways that you have established for them? If there's one here that's lost and God, you've dealt with their heart and they realize that they don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, would you call them to a place of repentance and salvation tonight and we'll give you glory for all that you'll do in Jesus' name, amen. We don't have a song. No. Hey, listen. And this is, is different. I'm sorry, I, I wasn't, wasn't exactly how sure how to end this. But if you're here as a part of this church, are you living and exercising the gifts and the talents that God has called you to exercise? There's a million excuses that we all have to give. But I challenge you as, as my brother or my sister in Christ that let God be glorified in this body that this community would know that there's something different here. Can we do that? Can we pray one more time and we'll be dismissed? God, this has been a very difficult conversation tonight. God, this has been a study of conviction for my life. And Lord, I pray that anything that was said of myself that would be a hindrance to the gospel, you would remove from our minds. But God, I pray that you would challenge us. That we could see the goodness of God in our lives. And as we come to those places in our life where we know that you've called us to, that we will follow in obedience and Lord we'll tear down the Lord we'll tear down the idols that we've built. We'll drive out all of the notions that set themselves up against you and who you are in our lives. I pray again for our students and for our children. I pray for every homeless represented here that God you would bless and that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to respond and feet to follow. I pray for our pastor again. Would you touch him and strengthen him? Would you be with his family, with the doctors? Oh Lord, for those that are still going through sicknesses of our body, would you be with them? 
God, would you bless them with your grace and with your presence in this time. God, we love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.